one of the things that we say often is great managers are not born, they're made. So the good news is that it's never too late and it's something that you can keep working on and with enough effort, enough repetition, you too can be a super manager. That's Aiden Mirzayi, CEO of Fellow.app, a fast-growing SaaS company that helps teams have better, more productive meetings. As part of his role at Fellow, Aiden is the host of the Super Managers podcast, a weekly show where he interviews leaders from across the business spectrum to tease out the habits, attitudes, and experiences that help them be amazing managers. Eden has been leading Fellow.app for almost five years. But before that, he was the co-founder of Fluidware, a bootstrapped company that he helped grow from zero to a $12 million run rate and almost 100 employees. After six years, he led Fluidware through an acquisition by SurveyMonkey. Eden is passionate about entrepreneurship, and he is also the co-founder of FreshFounders.com, a nonprofit organization with the vision to create a community of young business leaders in every city around the world. In this episode, Aiden will delve into some of the lessons he's learned, both from talking to so many successful leaders and from being a successful entrepreneur himself. Are great leaders born or made? Get ready for a thoughtful discussion on that topic and more. This is Daniel Sachs, co-CEO of AppDirect, and it's time to decode super managers. Welcome to Decoding Digital, a podcast for innovators looking to thrive in the digital economy. I'm your host, Daniel Sachs, and I'll sit down with other founders, CEOs, and changemakers to decode the trends that are transforming the way we work. Let's decode. Aiden, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. I love this because I was recently on your podcast, Super Managers, and I know you've been running it for almost a year now, and you just broke 50 episodes. So congrats on Super Managers and the 50 episode mark. Yeah, thank you. It's crazy to think it's been a year that we've been doing it. But yeah, it's exciting. It's the sort of thing that once you get passionate about it, I could see myself doing this forever. It's awesome. Yeah, there's nothing better than chatting with interesting people. I find it to be great. And when we talk about super managers, there's an obvious question for you, which is what's a super manager? But beyond that, what are some of the takeaways that you've had from interviewing so many leaders and super managers? That's a really good question. The term super managers, it's a term that we invented. And we have to talk about what a manager is, right? Like we think that the purpose of a manager is through their involvement, you'll get a lot more out of the team than if they were not involved with the team, right? And so a super manager to us is someone through their involvement, you get almost 10 times as much impact than if they were not involved with the team. They have a lot of characteristics. One of our favorite characteristics is that they're always working on their craft. So they never take it for granted. It's like continuously focusing on becoming a better manager and leader, it's something that they think about, they practice, they're very deliberate, just like an athlete would practice their free throws and do that on a consistent basis. Super managers are constantly figuring out how they can do what they do better. So 
that's kind of the broad premise of it. It's not everyone, but you'll notice that the ones that kind of have that mentality and mindset, they're always thinking about how they can get better. And that's why you're a great fit for the podcast. That's the sort of person that we've tried to have on. Thanks so much. I'm really curious, what are the common threads of things that super managers are consistently trying to work on? There are a lot of things that we figured out that super managers do and also like a lot of lessons that we've taken from them. One of the things is, for example, they're always focused on really understanding their employees on an individual level. And part of that is like, there's this there's this great quote from Peter Drucker, and he basically says, effective executives understand and build on the strengths of themselves, their team, and their organization to make everyone productive and to eliminate weakness. So part of that is they're really always trying to figure out what are each person's strengths, what are their weaknesses? And it's not to say like individually remove a weakness, but it's more, let's figure out how through using a team, we can actually eliminate weakness in that way through the use of a team. So they're always understanding who their team is on an individual level. There's a lot of great examples that I can bring up, and I've written a few of these. One of them was they're always focusing on different models that you can actually employ, that there's like no one size fits all for these things. One of the things is we had Jean-Michel, who is the now leaving, but CTO at Shopify. And one of the things that we talked about with him was this concept of like, a 25, 50, 25 leadership model. So what that means is a lot of people will come in and they'll say that, oh, well, it's servant leadership. My job is strictly to just unblock other people. And what's really interesting about the model that, for example, he talked about was actually 25% of the time, I'll be your manager and I'll kind of instruct you and guide you. 25% of the time, you'll actually tell me what to do and what you need from me. And 50% of the time, for example, we're peers and we're going to work together and we're going to brainstorm and this is going to be a very sort of collaborative process. So there's a lot of individual lessons like that. For example, we had Vlad from Webflow, I was the CEO of Webflow on, and this is something that I've heard from a bunch of other people as well, but oftentimes we try and look at a leader or a manager and we'll try and emulate, right? And we'll try and be like them. And the big takeaway I had from that episode was that you really have to try and be like yourself. It's not about emulating anybody else. You just have to really understand, just like you understand your team, you have to understand yourself, understand what your strengths are and like what the authentic you looks like, and then be that person, not try and necessarily emulate others. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch more and I can kind of list these out, but there's been a lot of great guests and one of the main things for me is like after every episode, I always learn something. So even if nobody else listens to the episode, it still works because I'm learning a lot. But obviously, people will listen and learn too. For sure. And it's such a great group that you've been chatting with. And I've had a lot of takeaways from your podcast. And when it comes to a lot of these super managers that you talk to, one of the things that I've observed is a lot of them have had to make adjustments, right? In their communication style and their motivation style, particularly over the last year. So what are some of the strategies that you've seen be particularly relevant in this digital first environment? One of the things that we focused on was trying to get a lot of guests that had a lot more experience with remote and had a lot of 
things that they could contribute so that everybody else could learn from what they had been doing. One of the guests that we had on, it was very early in the pandemic, Yob, who is the CEO at remote.com. And before that, he was actually VP of product at GitLab, which used to be the world's largest remote company. But one of the things that we talked about right from the beginning was that remote is harder. It's actually harder to run a remote company. And you just have to do a lot more. You have to be more purposeful. You have to think about things in different ways, but it is worth it. And the reason that it can become worth it is because you get to access broader talent in so many other places, but it's not like it's not going to be more work. So some people might've assumed that, oh, we're just going to get into remote and it's going to be the same amount of work. It's a different ball game. So that was a really interesting thing. The other interesting thing that we talked about with Yob was just this concept of documenting everything. So there's this culture that they promoted at GitLab and certainly something that we've also adopted at Fellow, which is this concept of respond with a link. So when people ask you a question, don't give them the answer, go write it in the wiki and then respond with a link. So now it's documented. And it was really interesting when he first told me about that and I said, oh, but that's a lot more work it's going to be slower. It's a lot more work. And he brought up a very good point, which is no, actually it's faster. It's a lot faster. And the reason is you only answer a question once. And it's not just about having a repository of knowledge. It's also about when you have people in different time zones, imagine if you want to ask a question at like 5 PM, someone else's time zone and they're leaving. Now you have to wait for the next day. And the more that you can think about documentation and responding with a link for company know-how and knowledge and processes, it actually speeds things up. So you just have to operate differently. Once everybody is not in the same physical location and all the same rules don't apply. Can you tell us a little bit more about the founding premise of Fellow and how you help managers become super managers? I think there are a bunch of things. When we originally started the company, One of the things that we kind of started thinking about is software enables behavior change. And one of the things with work from anywhere and work from remote and hybrid and all these different concepts is you have to use technology to make these sorts of communications possible. And so technology can help behavior change. One of the things that we thought about when starting the company was we kind of looked across the board and we said, everybody in every sector has software for them, right? Salespeople may have Salesforce, marketing people may have like a Marketo or a HubSpot, but nobody had really built a tool for managers of teams and really taken that lens. So when we first started the company, we really wanted to focus on building what we like to call a manager's co-pilot. So in the same way that you hire an account executive and they might use Salesforce, you would use Fellow and Fellow would be that manager's co-pilot. As we started digging in, what was really interesting was we saw that where managers spend most of their time is in meetings. Over 50% of their week is spent in meetings. And so when you kind of take that lens, it's such a massive area to help and deliver impact. So over the course of time, what fellows become is we like to call it a meeting productivity and team management tool. So we lead with a meeting-centric approach What we like to say is turn all the chaos of meetings into productive work sessions. And then we layer on team management concepts, one-on-ones and feedback and goal setting. And those things are kind of married in, but with kind of a meeting-centric approach. And there's a lot of like interesting things about meetings as it relates to digital and remote. So for example, 
a very common concept. I don't know how many of these you do, Dan, at AppDirect, but do you have asynchronous meetings? Is that a practice you employ, at least in your teams? It's actually not. I would love to learn more about it. Yeah. One of the things that people realize is like when we went all remote, part of it was let's do the exact same thing we did in the office, but let's just run those exact same meetings just remotely. And the dynamic really changes. So there's certain meetings and specifically like status meetings and stand-up meetings and those sorts of things are really the first to go. Any sort of status meeting doesn't actually need for everybody to be there at the same time. So it's just a matter of making sure that those things people are putting in their updates at a certain point in time, by a certain date in time, and then making sure that information is available for everyone. So that's in general, the concept of an asynchronous meeting. It's just like something where not everybody needs to do it at the same time. People can kind of finish this on their own time, but then you can view things afterwards. Now, not every meeting should be an asynchronous meeting. For example, one-on-ones should not be asynchronous because, I mean, there's a lot of purposes to it, but relationship building, for example, is a really critical part of a one-on-one meeting. So those are the sorts of things, for example, that you really should do on a synchronous basis. If there is discussion and debate, a lot of those things benefit from real-time interaction, and then other things don't really need to be that way, and so they can be done on an asynchronous basis. And just that, that concept, brings more time in people's days, allows their schedules to be more flexible so that you're not in a situation where all you're doing is back-to-back meetings. But that style of communication is also more than that. So for example, we had Sarah Milstein on our podcast and at the time she was director of engineering at MailChimp. And one of the things that we talked about was just this concept of if not everybody needs to be there synchronously, So sometimes you have a presentation or a meeting that is basically like a presentation format. So if that doesn't need to be synchronous and you're going to get everybody to read the deck or watch the video of someone presenting, how do you know that that's effective? And so part of the culture that also needs to change is like the way that we react to these things. So if you're using a tool like Slack or MS Teams, it's about reacting to messages. Like you read a message, It's actually about like putting eye emojis or like some sort of reaction to say, yes, I read this or commenting on things on purpose. Or when you actually like distribute a presentation or something really important, checking in with people after the fact and literally going out and messaging them and saying like, hey, what did you think? And like proactively looking for comments and feedback. So the communication style does change in a world where not everybody's always in the same physical location. And those are some of the things that that we think about uh, when building the product and building Fellow is like, how can we make all those workflows really easy to do and build all the right habits for people who want to use the product? What's your vision for how technology can help support a manager and how far do you think this technology can go? So the technology can go a really, really long way. I think it just starts from habit building it can create the framework so that you can basically make sure the things that you need to do, that you do them often and in the right workflow and in the right format. And when it comes to an organization, it's always hard to make sure that everybody is doing things the same way, right? Broadly, like you don't want it to be copy and paste across the board, but broadly the same structural way that 
say one-on-ones are held or meetings are held across the organization to have a consistent approach across the board, because why wouldn't you want to find workflows that work and like make sure that everybody does them? So that's one thing. The second thing is just data, right? Just having data at your fingertips and looking at this stuff and really understanding based on the data, what decisions you should make, that really starts to go a long way. And I think the third layer, as we get more futuristic, is now we start to get suggestions on what we should do. And this is where the software can actually aid us beyond just showing us data. It can also start to make recommendations on, hey, you should talk about this topic in your one-on-one, or you should really meet with this person, or you should really consider using this workflow for that meeting because this is the type of meeting that you said it was, right? So over the course of time, first you start with the basics of, okay, here's workflows. Then there's, here's data to make better decisions. And then third is now this offer starts to make suggestions on how you can implement a bunch of these things. I have some controversial views on this too. I just think that, for example, in the long term, as technology starts to get better, and this is maybe a controversial viewpoint, but I think like you fast forward 10 years from now, technology will get so good that you're going to be in a situation where you and I might maybe hang out socially, but the second that we want to say, hey, let's talk business and like, let's actually have a meeting, we'll actually want to use technology and that'll be a better meeting. A meeting done using technology or like a remote meeting might actually be better than an in-person experience. And the reason is while we're talking and we mention something, or I mentioned a Peter Drucker, I get pulled up information about him on the side and we talk about another person and the action item for that person gets recorded and gets sent to them right away. There's a lot that technology can do. And I just think that we look at it based on the technology we have today and we're like, well, clearly in-person interactions are the only way to go. But imagine now 10 years of everybody focusing on this over the next decade, it's really going to be game-changing. Super powerful. And what happens when we think about AI as well as contextual search, as well as augmented reality and voice to text and other elements? Do you feel like we're going to be interacting traditionally in conversations like this? Or are we going to be interacting in totally different ways? I think it's going to be very different. A couple of interesting things that I've been thinking about here. One of the things about being on camera in the way that we are and we're conducting this conversation is you have no idea how tall I am. I've my whole life been basically the shortest person in the room. And all of a sudden on video, that's really democratizing, right? It actually doesn't matter. I started my first company when I was very young and I know you basically started straight out of school and selling enterprise companies as a very young person, especially in some rooms, it's nice to have some gray hair sometimes. So I just think that over the course of time, it might be that we have different filters when we have conversations or maybe my voice has changed a little bit. I just think that a lot of these things may sound crazy as we're talking about them. Like it's not normal for me to have an avatar or slightly different persona when I'm talking to different people, but that actually over the course of time might become something that's the norm as we try and democratize the way that people can interact with others. Like that that's one of the things that, for example, I think it's going to change. So it's not going to matter if you're young or old or how tall or short you are. Like a lot of those things will start to change. 
And the other thing that I think is going to start to change is, again, if you get very futuristic about this, you can replicate a lot of these environments. And certainly there's a lot of technology in the world of AR and VR where you can replicate being amongst a lot of people and interacting with them. I, I know there's a company that's doing some cool things in this space called Spatial VR, and they're just kind of replicating in-person interactions in the virtual space. You mentioned AI and how can AI help with these sorts of things, right? Imagine if you and I are talking, I mean, I am the super interesting person, so you would never get bored if I'm talking, but say that you were, I could get a flag that Dan's not paying attention now, or like this meeting's productivity score is low because three people are clearly browsing or doing something else, or you're going off topic, or this person has talked too much during this meeting, right? So there's a lot of things that we can do live, even as meetings and interactions are starting to happen, to guide those interactions into a good place. I have to tell you about a really cool tool that I've been using. Do you ski? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. So have you used a product called Carve? No. Okay, so this is an incredible product. So you insert these sensors into your ski boots. It can connect to your AirPods. What happens is it's got 250 sensors on each foot and it's guiding you on how you ski and it's scoring you for every single run, how you did, how is your balance, every sort of measure that you can imagine, it scores every run. And then when you're on the chairlift, it tells you and can coach you. And then there's even live coaching so that you can listen to it while you're skiing. And it's kind of instructing you on how to do things. So that's the analogy of sports. But all we have to do is just take those things and then just apply them to knowledge work so that we can make ourselves productive and performing at our best in just the knowledge work that we do. What's preventing that technology from existing today? The example of we're in a meeting with 20 people and 10 of them are tuned out on their computers browsing other stuff. Is that technology out there today? We're focusing on it. Like, it's just a matter of like, what should everybody focus on? And I think that the events of the last year or so has made it so that it's become acceptable that we can have more digital so that you don't have to fly to another city just to have a meeting and then go back. Like before, these were not acceptable things, right? So if I got on the phone with you and you were, say, in your kitchen, I might maybe think that, oh, that might be unprofessional. But now it's like an accepted norm. So now that we've run this big experiment, you'll start to see that not only a fellow, but many, many other companies, they have been and they will continue to basically introduce a lot of new technology on improving our meetings and interactions. So this is just a space that you're just going to see all this attention and all the smart minds are now focused on this area. And you're just going to see a lot more good things come out of it. Got it. And how at Fellow do you calibrate managers? At AppDirect, we think about a calibration, what we call a performance grid, but we look at the what and the how. The what being the output based on your OKRs or objectives and key results and your KPIs, which are your key performance indicators. And then the how is values and competencies. So values being how do you execute based on our values, which include humility and positive mental attitude. We kind of coach on that, but also competencies such as communication skills and coding skills or other, other skills that you may need. And we have tracks to really help enable our teams and managers to progress, to be able to excel at not only being able to maintain and execute on their own OKRs and KPIs, but if they become a manager, 
how they can do that on behalf of their team. So that's kind of our methodology on how to calibrate a manager. But how do you think about grooming and calibrating managers at Fellow? This is a very good question because I think your approach makes a lot of sense. You had all the right elements in there. There was a performance elements. There was a cultural elements. I think all those things are very important. Some of the things that we've come across that a lot of other people have talked about is factors like retention. Do people stay when a manager is responsible for that team? That's an important one. Now, you also have to counter that with, you don't want them to stay forever because you want managers to be able to grow leaders and for those people to go on and do other things and be successful. So there's also this element of people who have worked with a manager, how often do they end up becoming leaders and continuing to grow and being promoted in their career? So the things that are very outcome-oriented and characteristic-oriented, but then there's also these aspects of the team. So I think those are some of the aspects that make a lot of sense. And then there's some other aspects. So for example, one of the factors that is very important is trust. And what's really interesting is we were just talking about manager tools and we just had the founder of that podcast on the show. And he was talking about a very large study that they ran and they basically got all managers to rate what they thought the trust level between them and their employees was And then they got the employees to also rate the trust level that they had with their managers. So on average, managers scored what they believed their trust between their employees to be as a 7.1. And the employees rated it as a 3.5. So it was drastically different. But over the course of time, through systematic one-on-ones and really understanding and level setting and asking for feedback, that, that flipped. It would be nice for trust level to be at a 10. But what's more important is for the trust level that the employee rates the manager to be higher than what the manager does for the rating. Part of that is managers have to understand. It's kind of like driving, right? Everybody thinks they're better than average driver. It's coming to understanding that the trust level is maybe not what they think it is. And it's also consistent work to make those things happen. So again, I think what you said outlines very, very well some elements that you have to do. And then if we think about team structure and some of those aspects, I think some of these other aspects are really great ways to understand if someone is a good manager or not. So as the host of Super Managers, what's the one piece of management advice you would give the listeners on the podcast? What I would say is, and the thing that I hear most often is, it's all about the people. At the end of the day, you really have to treat everyone like real people, really understand them and treat them like human beings. And secondly, what I would say is that you have to treat this just like a professional athlete would, just like a professional athlete would do drills and practice and look back on their week and figure out what conversations they had and how they went and how much feedback did they give and how did the feedback get received. The world's best managers are also practicing and they're very deliberate about all these things. So those are the two things I would say is it's all about the people and you have to work at this. One of the things that we say often is great managers are not born, they're made. So the good news is that it's never too late and it's something that you can keep working on and with enough effort, enough repetition, you too can be a super manager. Amazing, well, inspirational words. Aiden, so great to chat with you on Decoding Digital. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. This was super fun. Amazing. Take care. On the next episode of Decoding Digital. This is not like a small little tweak to your business. It is a fundamental transformation of your business model, and it needs to be board and CEO sponsored. And you need to think holistically because it impacts every single process. It impacts how you develop products, how you market them, how you sell them, how you service them. So once you're on this journey, you're all in and you have to stay patient and you have to stay persistent on this journey. You can't just turn around in six months and say, these things are not happening fast enough because to turn around a ship, it takes time. David Sovey, Senior Managing Director and Vic Viniak, Managing Director and Senior Partner at Accenture. Thanks for listening to Decoding Digital. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. To learn more, visit decodingdigital.com. Until next time.